The following episode of History Creeps is produced in part by the following Creeper Club members. Tim McGowan, Michael Thompson, Daniel Chavez, Samantha Cunningham, Sean Fritz, Anthony Mullen, Joe Stanford, Rebecca Bond, Russell Galfo, Matt Johnson, Kay Hammer, Cheryl Pierce, Christine Zanino, Oscar Maron, Eric M., and a number of other Creepers who wish to remain anonymous. We appreciate your support. And if you're interested in becoming a Creeper Club member, head over to patreon.com slash historycreeps. And now, on to the Creeper Clubhouse. Welcome back to another episode of History Creeps. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Chavez, joined as always by Carter Johnson. Hello. And Johnny Townsend. I have officially seen every bit of the new Hulu docuseries Sasquatch, and I'm going to give you, my dear audience, a quick non-spoiler review (laughs) of my experience watching Hulu Sasquatch I feel is a lot like having sex with me in that it starts out with there's intrigue. There's, there's mystery. There's, you know, you're anxious. There's, there's excitement and, and you're just, wow. You know, just what could happen? And then at the end of it, you're like, Oh, oh, okay. That, that was it. That's all (laughs) that that's, yeah, of that you leave was feeling unfulfilled and disappointed. And that's how quick. I feel when I leave the circus, dude. Yeah, and really fast, <laughs> like faster than you expected. Uh, yep, that's still the circus. That's that's kind of how I felt watching this. However, just like sex with me, I still recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> i saw the trailer for this and it looked super intriguing dude it looked like it looked interesting i guess so carter if you haven't seen the trailer the idea is there's a documentarian who decided he is going to get to the bottom of a story one of the most bizarre stories he'd heard in which men had been uh, like a group of people or men or a few people had been found murdered and the the culprit was expected to be sasquatch no yes. here's Here's some more you need to know. the The main guy is like this. He's like a an award winning uh, uh, reporter who's gone undercover a lot to get some really oh yeah like with white some really supremacist groups. And, yeah, with all kinds of stuff like that. Some dangerous. So this groups. guy's got this guy's got some credibility. Yes. Yeah. Legit yes. credentials. Yeah. yeah but at yeah, one he's point, legit. he's legit. Yes. But at one point, uh, he was work because over in Northern California, you know where all the deep woods are up there. Yeah, uh, where there's you know where you can burn the Emerald see. Triangle. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a lot of uh, marijuana farms up there that have oh, yeah. been there for a long time. Oh yeah. And he was working on a marijuana farm, and the gist of it is, uh, these three other guys who were also working on a neighboring marijuana farm were murdered and it was claimed they were murdered by Sasquatch. So this is the story of him trying to uh, find that out and figure that out and maybe even solve it. That type of thing. It's three episodes long there. And each one is under an hour. So you can zoom through this thing really, really fast. Fuck. 
but it's super well done. And um, the conclusion he reaches, I won't say anything about what it, the conclusion is, but I, I kind of agree with whatever the, the conclusion it comes up with, but oh. it's, uh, it's done really well. I do recommend it. It's a fun watch and it's a breeze watch. So it's not something you need to, uh, you know, uh, soak up a lot of your time. If you just want to watch something real quick, put that thing on. Cause each episode, like I said, is but you know what? 40 that's, to 50 minutes long. That's actually, that's like a thing in Bigfoot. Uh, uh, legend or lore, or whatever, whatever you want to call it, that like, remember, remember, we talked about that one story uh, back in like the 1870s or the 1880s. Those miners that, that they went in, they went into the uh, into the California mountains look for gold, and the one guy found gold, and when he went back, he got iced, and everybody like tried to say that it was Native Americans or something. And the Native Americans were like, no, because we don't go there. Bigfoot, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. I haven't I haven't heard this one though. Maybe I, this, this is one I haven't heard though. This okay. So I Johnny, I, this, Johnny, I know you've not seen this, but Carter, you've seen the remake of Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that whole opening, that whole opening, right? The idea is these kids are in the, it's like a yes. 20 minute opening. These kids are in the woods and they're there because not to camp. But they're looking for this these fields of 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 cannabis that are being grown, right? Like these kind of illegal fields being grown in the woods. They had heard about it, so they're out there to get it. Uh, lo and, and behold, so while they're out profit. there, yes, they're just going to go snag it and sell it and make profit. So one of them actually comes across it, and just as he's about to start ripping it off the you know the branches, uh, Jason shows up and kills him. Then there's this thing a little bit later on where you know this guy is in a farmhouse and he's processing all of this cannabis and this weed he's got and he's you know he's doing it all up. And this other guy gets in there and then here comes Jason and he ends up killing him too. And one of the jokes I made with a friend of mine was like, like all of a sudden Jason's like, maybe this is his crops. Maybe he's grown weed and he's protecting this shit. Right. So in the triangle, maybe Sasquatch is a cannabis farmer, bro. Maybe he's just trying to protect this stuff out there. Well, also this is the, like I said, the deep woods, if he's going to be anywhere, this would be one of the places he would be. Yeah. It's really thick out there. Uh, yeah. uh you know, in this area that they're yeah, just yeah, like I'll me, it's it really no, thick this is, double C. No, this is where also where, a lot of uh, hikers and campers go missing. Yeah, I mean, they, you when know, they, it could go hand in, in hand. Yeah, it could go hand in hand with these farms and the, the, you know, the kind of the people who are surrounding these farms. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out though because it does look interesting. It looks like a cool documentary. One thing that I found really interesting has nothing to do with Sasquatch that they talked about is that that area was always kind of dangerous just mm-hmm. because of the marijuana uh, marijuana farming and you know at a time it was illegal mm-hmm. and they thought when they made it when they legalized it they would kind of change that and they mm-hmm. said if anything it's actually made it way more dangerous mm-hmm. though oh yeah yes yeah, so be um, careful uh, urkel you know he's getting <laughs> into that game i saw there everybody is now really yeah. jim belushi's got his own farm now i follow him on twitter and i saw that he's doing this who's shocked um, by that yeah, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. How many canine movies did he make? He had to be smoking something by the Dude, third one, a... bro. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the it's the new industry, and more and more, you know, the states keep legal. What is it like in North Carolina? Is it still illegal, or is it medical? Yeah, it's or... shitty here. It's been oh, somewhat it? decriminalized, but it's shitty. I think it's way more. If it's a medical thing, it's totally okay. Type of deal. Gotcha. The state yeah. of New York went completely recreational, one hundred percent. They just passed it this year, and by next year, they're going to have dispensaries and i think one of the few states in the in the country that had will have cafes as well 
like Amsterdam. So uh, in the future, I'll be doing uh, History Creeps episodes, eating space cakes and, and just trailing <laughs> off into, and then coming back to the show. We're going to change the name to Cheech and Creeps. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like you know it. what? No, you know what? If, if, it, if, it, if, it does, if it does go that way, dude, you need to create your own strain. Name that shit History Creeps. That's sell it. There you go. Creeper. That's Creeper it. Right? There you go. Hey. History Creeper. There you go. Let's do it. The creepers we're gonna history creeps gonna have its own strain of cannabis johnny's there. like johnny's like johnny's like i don't smoke it but i'll make, I'll make the money yeah. darn, <laughs> darn tootin man I'm right. I'll make that johnny we're gonna need you to design our logo as long as it's legal i do not care one of your one of your the way i, I could just see it too your style of cartoon like this stone looking dude um <laughs> all right let's get into our story guys i have a story for you speaking of unsolved uh murders right this one is considered um i think it still is from what i was reading at the time of what i was reading i read a lot of articles from the 80s and 90s and one more it was in 2012 um it's was considered and, and may still be considered the biggest mass murder in Alaskan history. Ooh. Have you guys heard about the, the uh, unsolved Craig Alaska murders? I, I don't think know. So. Okay. Well, let's get Alaska, into this. Alaska has a lot of mystery in it to start with. And they got a lot of unsolved murders like yes. this too, man. Oh, of course. Well, dude, when you look at the place, right? Like yeah. it's so yeah, underdeveloped. Exactly, dude. Um, you could the whole the whole state is like a body dump. Like who's gonna There's so many even parts lives there, man? Yeah, there's so many main cities that you can only get to by plane or boat. You can't yeah. even drive to. There's there's places there that don't have streets. They just don't have any paved streets at all, right? There's and that one town, town. There's that one town Whittier that all lives in the one apartment building. And you've got to t- you've got to take a tunnel. To oh, get- I wow. swear to God, you've got to take a tunnel to get there, uh, and the tunnel only goes like one way every thirty minutes. So like wow. you've got to sit there and wait, you know. All right, let me tell you about Craig, Alaska. Okay, so I learned some things while while doing research on Alaska, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about Craig and how this works out because there's a lot I did not know. So Craig is a city in the Prince of Wales Hyder Census area in the unorganized borough of Alaska. So first of all, did you guys know that Alaska is made up of boroughs? No. Me neither. So it's made up of boroughs, not really counties. They're more boroughs, right? But is that like kind of what it stands in for is counties? Kind of like that, yeah. Okay. Now, there are certain ones that are considered organized boroughs. These are the ones that the United States Census says within these borders – this is the main census, this and this, right? But then there's so many of the boroughs that are considered unorganized. They're just kind of all over the place in terms of land masses and where the towns and villages are between, you know, so much land in Alaska that um, there's a the huge area that's unorganized. Like if you took it and put it all together, it's nearly half of Alaska's landmass. So a lot of it is considered unorganized and, and almost Wild West-like. Um it's made up of 19 boroughs. The rest of the unorganized version is, is considered 11 census areas. They, they're not considered boroughs. So Craig is part of one of the unorganized boroughs. Now, if you know the, what the state of Alaska looks like, you know how it's got like those two little legs that hang off one off off into the Pacific and one runs along the coast uh, uh, and the border of Canada, right? Yeah. So Craig is along that border of Canada. It's a little coastal town on the border of, of Canada, like near the border of Canada yeah. on I that little up- leg. I looked up a picture of it, and okay. I highly recommend everybody uh, doing so. It's really interesting how this 
city because it's called yeah. a city is uh how it's put because it's literally on the peninsula there yeah and like you can see all the like it looks like a little mass of land is just because all kinds of buildings and development mm-hmm. on it. and then all of a sudden you look in the background and it's just sheer forest and greenery uh, yeah <laughs> yeah it's located uh on the coast uh, lower canadian border so it's only got just this town 6.7 square miles of land and that's it that's craig uh alaska its main industries are fishing and timber as you could see you saw all that you know obviously you're yeah. gonna see timber and uh, as recent as the 2019 census, it held the population of Craig at 1,262 people. No shit. Yeah. So this is a very small coastal fishing town. This is the kind of town where everyone knows everyone in the town. You know, there's no secrets. Um, prior to what happened in this, this so we're going to be in 1982. So prior to this event in 1982, this was the type of town where people left all their doors unlocked. Um keys are left in the ignitions of their boats and boats are literally open to anyone walking on them. So like Johnny, you could be a, you know, somebody that lives in Craig, you own a boat and say you're, you're on your boat overnight for the weekend. And Carter decides he just wants to, he's a stranger in town and he's kind of walking through and sees your boat. And he's like, I want to check this boat out and see what it's like. You know, maybe I'll buy it. It's not weird for him to kind of walk on it. And you wake up in the morning and say, Hey, good morning. What's going on? And he says, oh, I'm just kind of looking at your boat. And you say, the hell you are. I'm going to make you some- off my boat. That's- no, it's more like, Hey, you want me to make you some coffee? You got some questions? I'll be happy to answer. That's the kind of town this place was. Okay. Um, it was also known, you know, used to used to loss and tragedy because when it comes to fishing, as you guys know, commercial fishing, if you guys know, I mean, I remember from when I saw the perfect storm, that was kind of my introduction to the dangers. Yeah. It's one in one in the top 10 most dangerous jobs, isn't it? Yes, definitely. So you go out into the oceans and you know, it's extremely volatile. It could be calm one minute and the next minute it's your, your, your ship's capsizing. Right. So this is a small town that number one is used to, it knows everybody, but is also used to tragedy and loss, but is also on top of that used to, strangers coming in because every season at the end of season, you know, as people are passing through and making their way back to the different towns in Canada and even into the lower 48 States, they stop through this town and dock for a week. You know what I mean? They they'll spend some of the money that they got from their catch. Uh, they'll, they'll rest, they'll get supplies and then make the journey back uh, home wherever these fishermen come from. So they're used to this kind of cycle of things. So I'm going to take you to September, 1982, Craig, Alaska. It's the end of the fishing season and roughly 100 boats and vessels are docked in the town with fishermen and crews almost doubling the town's population. Like I said before, this was nothing new to Craig as the location of the Alaskan town made it a favorite port for many fishermen to end the season. Over the next few days, much of the town would be would celebrate the end of the season and the money made on the catch. Among those in town celebrating is 24 year old Washington native Mark Colthurst. He was the captain of a 58-foot fishing vessel, the Investor, which was tied to a couple of ships at the dock. So I say tied to a couple of ships because it wasn't actually tied to the dock. This, you know, it got so full at, at points that if you were familiar with other crews and other boats, you'd have a boat tied to the dock. Another boat would come up to that one and tie themselves to that boat. And sometimes even a third deep, right? And so like the one that's the furthest out, whenever it was time to go to town, you made your way across the boats. You just kind of boarded the other boat 
went through, boarded the next one, got on the docks and went into town. And so Mark, you know, Mark and his crew knew some of these guys. And so what they did is they ended up tying their boats to two other boats that made their way across. So anytime they had to go from their boat to the town, they had to walk across these other two boats. This is something to keep in mind. So uh, they tied themselves to the ships at the dock. Not only was he celebrating the 77,000 pounds of salmon he and his crew had hauled, but it was also his birthday. He spent the evening of September 5th at Ruth Ann's restaurant with his wife, Irene, who was three months pregnant, his five-year-old daughter, Kimberly, and his four-year-old son, John. His four-member crew was also in town celebrating, 18-year-old Chris Hyman, 19-year-old Dean Moon, 19-year-old Jerome Keown, and 19-year-old Michael Stewart, uh, Michael was Mark's cousin, were all deckhands from Blaine, Washington, the same town as Mark's family. So while Mark and his family were at the restaurant celebrating the birthday, two of the deckhands, Jerome and Dean, decided to go out for drinks that evening and to find some weed. Um, it wasn't known if the other two, Mike and Chris, left as no one in town reported seeing them that night. So remember, it's a small town. Strangers stand out, even when there are so many uh, that are docked at, at ship. Also, many of the crews and captains are familiar to the townsfolk. They come through yearly. You know what I mean? So maybe, you know, they won't see him for a year, but every, once in, after, after seeing him for a few years, you start to get to know, oh, you know, this is Captain so-and-so, or that's the dude that works on this ship. So you got to know people. And I say strangers are, are noticed because... Mark and his crew, this was their first time in this town. They had never been to Craig before. They just so happened to decide that this time at, when they were done with their season on the way back to Washington State, that they were going to stop in at this town to stay for a few nights, spend some money, um, restock up. And then what would happen was uh, uh, there was going to be another few days that the salmon season would open again to get, get last minute fishing in. And the plan would be to get some of that fishing in before heading back to Washington. So a lot of people noticed the two guys that were the deckhands. They didn't. They weren't from the area, but they never saw the other two that were still on the boat. Uh, back to the story. Mark and his family ate dinner till about 9.30 p.m., paid for the food, and then headed back to their boat. As they crossed over the, the two boats that they were tied to on their way through, their four-year-old stopped into the pilot house of uh, one of the boats. This boat was called the Decade. Um, he stopped into the pilot house to say hi to the captain before turning back and heading off to his boat. And so this comes up later because the captain remembers the time that he saw this little boy come in and say, hey, you know, what's going on? Hi, how are you doing? That very night, the crew of the decade, the one that the investor was tied to, ended up having a party. A lot of the guys there ended up drinking into the night, playing cards, enjoying themselves below deck. And just as a, a, a strong storm started pushing its way in, so the storm is raging, the, you know, the crews under, uh, are, are under deck partying. As far as they know, the family are all on their boat sleeping. Uh, the guys party into the early hours. At around 6.30 a.m., one of the decade's crewmen awoke, fighting off a hangover, and made his way above deck. He immediately noticed that the investor was slowly pulling away from the decade with no motor running. It had been untied and was drifting out into the bay. The crewman also noticed that there was a man in the investor's pilot house, and he assumed it was Mark, the captain. He assumed that Mark was piloting the boat away quietly as, so as to not wake up a lot of the people who had stayed up late partying. So he waved, and the man in the pilot house waved back. The boat continued to float away. Around 7.30, 45 minutes after it had drifted away from the port, the investor was seen about a mile out near Fish Egg Island, seemingly anchored and not moving. 
It was roughly at this time that a few fishermen claimed to see a man tying a skiff that belonged to the investor to the Craig's main docks. Uh, not getting a good look at the man, many thought it was a crewman returning back to land for something that may have been forgotten. Soon that morning, a fog would roll in, and coupled with the, the final stretch of salmon fishing opening for the day, no one paid attention to the investor anchored off the coast anymore. The, another night of, of drinking, you know how fishermen do it, drinking, enjoying some food, maybe enjoying some women, some gambling. Uh, they go to sleep. The next day, many of the town folk are surprised to see that the investor is still out in the bay and not out fishing. So what surprised them was that a lot of the boats ended up going out that morning to get some more salmon fishing in and the investors still sat out there, right? You're talking about a boat that pulled in 77,000 pounds. Why not go and get, you know, take advantage and try to get some more fish. So they were very surprised to see it there. A few of the men at the docks watched as the investor skiff made its way back out to the vessel piloted by the same man they had seen tying it up the day before. So Let's rewind again. The day before, they saw this guy coming back from the investor on a skiff, tying the, 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 the skiff up at the docks and going into town, right? Now it's the next day, and there are people on the docks that are seeing the same guy leaving now and heading back out to the, to the, the, the boat. A number of these men would claim to see the man loading two canisters of gasoline onto the skiff before heading out. About 4 p.m., crew members of the Troller Casino, which was docked in Craig, alerted Alaskan state troopers that smoke could be seen billowing from the investor. The casino departed the docks and headed for the investor, hoping to help whoever was on board. On the way, they passed a young man in a dark ball cap piloting the skiff back towards Craig. The young man told the casino's crew that he was going to get help, but that the fire was not that bad and everyone on board the investor was fine. Three other people on land would claim to come in contact with this young man, and he had the same, and they all had the same story. He told them that he was trying to find help, that everybody was fine, it wasn't a bad fire, but that they need they needed to go grab something to bring back. When the casino arrived, they found the fire to be very bad, actually. It had engulfed the entire pilot house and was raging out of control. More locals arrived, and everyone got to work trying to put out the blaze. After a number of hours and the arrival of the Alaska State Troopers, as well as U.S. Coast Guard, the fire was finally quelled long enough for a horrific scene to play out. The vessel had been almost completely incinerated, leaving a charred husk. Investigators boarded the boat and found four sets of human remains burned beyond recognition. During this investigation, flames broke out again. And the fire would begin to, to rage once more. It would take another few hours before they finally extinguished the flames completely. So not only had it been burning for hours, right? They went in there. They found that there was some dead bodies in there. And then soon fire starts springing up. They have to get off and start fighting it again for a few more hours. So this stuff just continues to burn and incinerate. After further investigation, uh, much of the remains were sent off for testing. On September 9th, autopsies revealed two of the four were Mark and his wife. Both also revealed to have died of gunshot wounds to the head. They towed the boat back to shore. They had some, some investigators sift through much of the ash and much of the wreckage as well. They found some more bones, and it would reveal that there were three more bodies that they found. So let's remember this. There was four family members, right? Mark, his wife, his daughter, his young son. And then there were four crew members. So far, they've only found seven bodies. Soon, the third body was identified as the young daughter, 
but they couldn't tell if she was shot because she was too badly damaged. The, the, the fire had damaged the body to the point where some of it was just ash. Now, like you could only see half certain pieces of bone fragment and stuff. Um, the fourth body would end up becoming revealed to be Mark's 19 year old cousin, one of the, the deck hands. Uh, the other three took a while to identify because they were so badly damaged. But after the after a while, the fifth was finally revealed to be Jerome uh, because they f- figured it out by the jawbone. The other two bodies, they could never figure out who they were, whether it was um, the two two adults and they just couldn't find the young boy, or if one of them was the young boy and uh, one of the adult you know guys with the uh, another adult missing, they couldn't figure it out. However, they did have the three the 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 three bodies left. Investigators believe that all were shot first, and that no because there was no trace of carbon monoxide trapped in their lungs. So that was some some of the, during the investigation they came up with the fact that you know. I don't know what that means in terms of like how if there's no lungs left, maybe there's something that they can tell with your bones or blood or whatever it is. But they they figured out that there had been no carbon monoxide in these people's lungs, none of them. So they really think all of them were dead before it was set ablaze. Um, that was it. That's all they could figure out. After after an, a few more months of investigation, they declared all eight people deceased in the fire, even though they couldn't account for one of the bodies. And whether or not it was the adult body or the child's body, they just couldn't account for it. Uh, the investigators and, and the authorities ended up claiming that all eight ended up dying in the fire or dying in on that boat. Um, they also believe that all eight had been shot before being burned. What they think happened was that something had happened in, in between the time that they had gone to bed and when the crew woke up, right? That somebody had gone aboard and um, either shot them and killed them at that time during the raging storm where no one would really hear what was going on, or they had brought the, you know, the boat out to, to the bay and ended up killing everyone on board. They believe that that person came back and thinking that they were going to somehow sink the boat or do something to the boat so it wouldn't still be there. And when they found the boat was still there the next day, panicked, grabbed some gasoline, went back out there and set the boat on fire. So they would end up doing all kinds of investigations. They would lock down the town. They would they wouldn't let anybody leave. Um, but it, you know, already a few days had passed by the time they had come to this conclusion. So it, there was a chance that who did it may have left. But they did this huge investigation. They went down to Washington and did a lot of investigating. Um, they questioned a whole bunch of people, all different crewmen, all different people that were out there, fishermen, people who knew the family, people who had worked with the family, um, and they came up with nothing. They come up and it went for a few years where, where nothing was done. There was too many, too many contradicting things. There was a lot of people who described this young man that they came across. Um, the profile was a young man. He was white. He was in his late teens, early twenties. He was between five, nine and six foot blonde hair. And he had puck marked face and glasses. However, there was a few people that said it was a middle-aged man and that he was native American. So with with some of these conflicting stories, you know, they couldn't really follow a specific trail. And the fact that they kind of botched the investigation at the beginning, they didn't put out the fire completely. It ended up starting again and destroying any other evidence that may be available. Um, There was a third piece in which the boat was going to be transported back to the States, I believe, for a further investigation. And it ended up sinking off the coast. So now this boat which had been already partly, you know, or almost completely burned through was now laying at the bottom of the bay out there in Alaska with whatever other um, evidence, evidence. Thank you. Other evidence uh, is now in the water. 
So it goes cold all the way up until September 10th, 1984, when investigators announced that they have found a person of interest and would be placing a man by the name of John Kenneth Peel under arrest. The reason they put this guy under arrest was, number one, he matched the description. Number two, he had worked for Mark the year uh, for a few years and had been fired the year before he had been fired uh, from working on the, on Mark's boats because he had had issues with drugs and alcohol. He was also in Craig at the time of the murders, but he had been working with another crew on another fishing boat. And he had been seen speaking to Mark and Mark's wife that night at the, the restaurant, that Ruth restaurant I was telling you about. So, he was seen there. So they ended up saying he was a person, not only a person of interest, he was going to be charged with their murders and that all of these, these things, these circumstantial pieces of evidence was enough and that they would have enough people to say they saw him specifically coming back and forth from this ship. This dude was now living in Washington. He had, he had kind of retired from the fishing aspect of the job. He had gotten a job, just a regular kind of day-to-day job where he wasn't out on boats all the time. Um, he had gotten married, had just had a newborn, when they decided that they were going to come in and arrest him and bring him to court. So it becomes this huge case. They bring out all of these witnesses, man, witness after witness says this was the person, this was the person. Some people said, you know, I can't remember if that was him or not. The defense would bring their own witnesses that said, no, I saw this type of person. This He doesn't look anything like the person I saw. It went back and forth. It was heated, man. It got to the point where, the judge would have to tell the prosecutors and the defense attorneys to chill out because they would attack each other so hard over, over who they were bringing to the stands, you know, but everything they had, there was nothing, there was no physical evidence at all. It was all circumstantial evidence and whatever narrative they wanted to build. So the trial finished and it went to the jury. It ended up being a hung jury. They couldn't decide. So the, the judge dismissed it without prejudice, which means it could be tried again. It couldn't be tried under the same circumstances, but he could still be tried for the murders under different circumstances. So it, it meant prosecutors had to start back at square one. So they started back at square one, building a case again, and they brought him in a second time. They, they charged him a second time and brought him in for trial a second time. Same thing. More witnesses came out, but this time the, the defense really started to bring to light that the prosecution was doing a lot of questionable things, man. They were really kind of leaning on people and, and kind of coercing them on what to say on, on that they saw this guy. Uh, there was a lot of people that they would continuously bring, you know, pages of pictures, right, For, to say, hey, if you could point out somebody that you saw, point them out. So they'd look through three or four pages, and each page had different pictures except for this guy. He was always on each page, no matter what. So after a while, like by page two, page three, they saw the same guy. You know, they're starting to think, I think this might be the guy I saw. Uh, you know, a lot of these things were being brought up, and the judge was like, what? like, what is wrong with you guys? You guys need to knock this off. Apparently, there was some evidence that was circumstantial that could have basically contradicted what the prosecution was saying, except they didn't present it. And it came up later that the judge found out was like, you know, it was very on the verge of being thrown out again. Uh, But this time, again, the jury went in to deliberate. This time they came back and they acquitted. They said, there's nothing. You got nothing. All you have is all the circumstantial stuff, nothing else. As a matter of fact, you have a lot of people in town that say they know this guy. They've seen him there year after year. He's a nice guy. Uh, A lot of crewmates say that this is the kind of guy, like when you saw scuffles happen on ships, he wasn't a part of it. He wasn't trying to eat. He wouldn't throw a punch. He's not that kind of guy. So for him to kill eight people, including children and a woman who's pregnant, uh, I don't know if I said that, but his uh, Mark's wife was three months pregnant. Um, 
you know, it just was so out of character. The guy never had any kind of criminal record before. Um, you know, there was many people who said for sure they saw him elsewhere during the times that the killings and these weird events with the ship should uh, should have happened. So a lot of these things kind of came up. Um, the guy ends up getting acquitted and that's it. Nothing ever again. This has been an unsolved case since then. No one knows who it was and what could have been the motive for killing this family. There was a lot of theories. Um, there was theories that there was drugs involved, that Mark was running drugs, and that that's why, you know, all of a sudden he's this is the first time he's stopped stopping in Craig because it had to do with drugs and some sort of a shipment. There was some people who thought that maybe it had to do with a dispute over the fishing. Because again, he's a newer guy coming in this area. They're not used to seeing him out here. Now he's getting a lot of this fish that, you know, so, and, and that's a territorial thing, man. You guys, if you've ever seen any of those fishing shows, those reality shows, man, those deep sea fishermen, man, those that's the territorial thing. They will fight and, and do whatever damage they need to, to protect their part of the ocean and the stuff that's paying their bills, right? The, the, the haul that's going to pay their bills. So there's people who think that there was that kind of thing happening out there. Uh, there's people who think there was a jealousy thing happening. This 58-foot investor, the boat, was worth uh, $750,000 in 1982. So uh, there's some people who think, and it was owned by his father. So there were some people who think maybe there was something involved there that had to do with insurance money, life insurance, and the insurance of the boat. But nothing was ever solved at all. It was just one of these things where it happened and you kind of have to, uh, it's like you said, Carter, it's Alaska, right? Like it's, it's a body dumping ground, man. You'd never know what could have happened. That's weird, man. That one's like, there's not even enough to. No, they like, have. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't like. I don't know. How, you're talking about all oh, the people have these theories, and it's like, how can you even have a theory? There's not even enough. Like. Yeah. They, like every they, single theory works for like one or two things, right. and then it falls apart. You know what I'm saying? One of the things they were saying is with the description of what this guy looked like. Um, they were interviewing people in town and one of the people in town was like, that looks like 500 other guys in town. I mean, it's just what these, these fishermen look like, you know what I mean? Like the way this guy was described. Um, yeah, it's, it's a mystery that has been around for as long as it has, uh, no one's ever figured out what it was. And a, and a lot of it, unfortunately is due to the fact that, you know, a lot of the, you know, a, a, a lot of the evidence got burned because of negligence. You know, because yeah. they didn't they didn't get out there in time to to, fi to fight that fire. And uh, even when they did, they didn't do it well. Yeah. And it's just weird, too, that this happened with so many other people kind of in the, in the area. You know, uh, that's the thing, too. Like nobody heard. It sounds like nobody even heard gunshots or something like that. That's so strange to me. No. There, well, you know what? Here's the thing. There was one guy that said he didn't say it was gunshots, but he heard this loud banging. And so. What it was is he heard a loud banging that morning and it was in an hour, like one at it, like in every hour, he'd hear this pop, this loud pop or this loud bang kind of going off over and over. And so some people think there was something going on that maybe had to do with ransom. And it was one of those things where if you don't let, you know, every hour I'm going to execute somebody type of a thing. Um, it's just, dude, there was just so much that like, like, like you said, Carter, there's not enough here to say it has to be this or it has to be that. But there's, there's so much in terms of the amount of people that came in contact with the person that was, you know, piloting the skiff that saw the person in the, in the pilot house as the boat was going off, you know, all of these people that saw this person, it wasn't like it was done in the dark of night and then no one ever saw anything again. The fact that the boat sat there for a whole day, right. 
yeah. with the killer in town doing whatever he was doing, or maybe he was on a, another crew and was out, sh- you know, fishing that day. So that's why it sat out all day. Uh, who knows? No one really knows. No one's ever really come up with uh, any confession, no deathbed confessions, nothing like that. This is still considered one of the biggest unsolved mysteries in Alaskan uh, when it comes to unsolved murders in Alaskan history. Did they even have a, were they able to, de- probably not, but were they able to determine a time of death on any of the people? Uh, probably from what I saw, you know, I didn't, it, it didn't, I didn't see anything that, that marked that I read a few articles. So I read some articles that were back from the eighties immediately after it happened. And then some stuff that was addressing it. And then there was, there's another podcast called unsolved, um, that covered this story as well in a two part. They did the, the whole story about like how the murders went down and, and everything that happened and, and how everything was really mysterious. And then the whole second part was all about the guy that they charged and the trial and the kind of witch hunt that that kind of ensued after the fact. Yeah. Uh, but nothing ever really, I don't remember seeing anything that said the time of death, but it was obviously it was between, you know, the time of, of then and the burning because obviously, you know, they didn't die in the fire. It's just, it's just, that's just weird. And I feel like it, with the fire thing, we already had guys out there on the deck that saw the, the dude in the skiff with the gasoline. So my thinking is that it either happened, the, the shots happened at night during the storm when you wouldn't hear it and people are obliterated and partying and just kind of passed Or out it happened when they further the out. out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's um, what I was thinking too. You wouldn't have heard it before the the, the him setting fire because people were already out there watching this guy go out there with cans of, of of gasoline, you know. Well, yeah, maybe there was somebody else. Maybe there was somebody. That's the other road, thing too. Yeah. They never so they claimed all eight people died, but they still couldn't account for one body. So they yeah. don't know if one of them. They some people think that it was the youngest boy who was set on fire first, and maybe that's why he like it was him that was part of the accelerant and and there's nothing left of him at all to say. So some people think that's the case, but some people also think maybe it was one of the deckhands, you know, because, but he was never seen again. Like, you know, you think he popped up somewhere to somebody he knew and then, and maybe come up with some story that he wasn't even on the boat overnight. He had, you know, gone back on land and gotten drunk and never got out to the boat. You know what I mean? But no, he was never seen again either. So who knows, dude, who really knows? That's weird. It's going to take, sounds like it's going to take somebody confession. uh, confessing like to maybe tell a loved one or something yeah yeah and for that loved one to come forward for this to be solved i mean it's yeah tragic all around yeah it definitely is um I, I thought it was interesting it was one of these ones that was kind of you know it's 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 an old cold case and these are the ones that get me dude so i had an idea of doing another sub series like we need more sub series on the history creeps feed but i was thinking about doing one that's nothing but cold cases that kind of creating a, a you know a, a show that focuses on them and then maybe a facebook group where creepers can join and maybe look into cold cases because like I, I love seeing these stories where you know online like just everyday people who are interested in this thing start solving these things because they look further and they just keep digging and sometimes yeah. it takes one other person to to hear a story and go well has anybody ever thought of this angle do you know what i mean and so like who knows maybe somebody listens to this story and goes well has anybody ever thought of this that no one's thought of yet so 
um yeah dude it's it, it fascinated me when i heard it the more i read into it there's all kinds of you know all kinds of articles out there about it there's a couple of books that was written about it in terms of what happened and the theories around what happened and there's a little there's a little bit more reasoning in terms of the the whole drug smuggling and all that stuff because i mean you're talking 70s early 80s when that was a real big thing you know really smuggling stuff um yeah. I mean, it still happens now but those are the wild west days of that kind of thing so uh yeah, it's interesting and it's 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 an unsolved case. So, um, who knows? It's up it's up for investigation and debate. Yeah, so there you go. That one's pretty dark, man. There you go. The unsolved murders. <laughs> Very dark. Of Craig Alaska. Who's next? Who does the next one? Carter, Johnny. I can't remember who does the next one. I don't remember. We'll look it up. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I don't recall. Alrighty. Before we get out of here, you guys want to promote anything? Carter, you got anything? Where can, is, there, is your uh, your story still, is that book still available on Amazon? Yes. S- Stranger Than Friction? Stranger Than Friction. Yes. So find Issue it on Amazon. One. It's got uh, a short find, story by Mr. Johnson. Find it Johnson. on Amazon. Uh, got a short story in there. Uh, there'll be another short story in the second issue of the magazine. Nice. Uh, and I've got a short story uh, in an anthology coming this summer. Very nice. Keep our eyes out for that. Mr. Townsend, you got yourself some custom-made, personalized sketch cards now. Yeah, but other than that, uh, if uh, you see me on Tinder, swipe right. <laughs> um, let see, what else? <laughs> but yeah, uh, I got some new personal sketch cards. It's got my goofy face on the back, which is also now a magnet as well. Yeah. Yeah, we got those coming out. So we've got some magnets that are going to be going out to the Creeper cl- uh, Club members uh, just for being club members. But we'll also have them available for purchase uh, for any of our listeners who, even if they're not a part of the Creeper Clubhouse, they want to get their own magnet, they can get one. And then I got these two, these little uh, vinyl stickers made up that you can put on the back windshield of your car. If you follow the History Creeps website, uh, Facebook page, you'll have seen pictures of mine. It says Stay Creepy, History Creeps podcast, and it's got a little uh tombstone on it says rest in peace so those are going to be available here very soon for purchase as well we got some fun stuff available for people dude it's all it's all coming up here in the very near future yeah definitely check out our patreon oh Uh, yeah the one thing i'll i will uh, gladly talk about Uh, we got exclusive audio there Uh, a lot of awesome creepers are already a part of it so come join the fun yep and there's actually a new series debuting this month Um, some more extra outtakes going to be put in there and a new episode of Carter and Chris versus evil is going up. So there's a whole lot of stuff for them to to check out. Um, and some back, you know, some stuff that's already posted from our past couple months. So definitely check it out. Patreon.com slash history creeps. Make sure to head to the website, BICVP radio.com. Check out some of the other shows on the, on the network. Uh, make sure to throw some support their way as well. Other than that, for Johnny Townsend and Carter Johnson, this is Chris Chavez thanking you guys once again for supporting us and as always reminding you to stay creepy.